Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. is airing on Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today, I'm sharing an interview that I did with Brooke. We were very, very excited to interview Alice Henderson, who has written two books um, that we talked about, A Solitude of Wolverines, and then the most recent is A Blizzard of Polar Bears. So if you enjoy animals, wildlife, ways in which animals are studied, this will be a great interview for you. And of course, I have a selection of new releases coming out this week. So once we're done with the interview, definitely stay tuned for that. So let's get into it. We will start, as always, with the usual housekeeping information, followed by the interview. And then I'll be back to talk with you about this week's new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and Brooke is here with me today, and we are very excited to be talking with author Alice Henderson about her second Alex Carter book. This is A Blizzard of Polar Bears, and it was released here in the U.S. on November 9th. So I just want to, before we get into the interview, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. You're very welcome. So I always like to start out with the author giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to the book in question. So I don't know how much you want to talk about A Blizzard of Polar Bears specifically, or if you would rather do kind of an overview of the series at large, but whatever you're comfortable with, um, if you can just kind of give listeners a bit of a of an idea of what they'll be reading about. Okay. Uh, why don't I do just this, this series at large? Um, the first book was called A Solitude of Wolverines, and it features my protagonist, Alex Carter, who's a wildlife biologist, and she gets a job studying endangered wolverines in remote Montana. And there are really neat uh, carnivore species that a lot of people aren't familiar with, uh, but there's only uh, probably 300 left in the lower 48. So oh. Alex asked with, finding out if these wolverines are on this large protected tract of land that was formerly a ski resort and the wolverines disappeared while it was um, running. But now the ski resort has been donated to a land trust and they want to know if wolverines have come back. 
So she places remote cameras around the preserve, but she gets images of this injured man who's wandering on the preserve. And law enforcement seems not so interested in pursuing it. And Alice starts to realize that she has stumbled on a secret going on in this area that someone is willing to kill to protect. So that's the, the first book. And the second book, A Blizzard of Polar Bears, starts right where that one leaves off. And she's fresh off her Wolverine study in Montana. And she lands at gig studying polar bears in the western Hudson Bay in the Canadian Arctic. So there she's embedded with a small team who flies over the vast ice of Hudson Bay in a helicopter. And she sort of leans precariously out of the helicopter with a tranquilizer gun and shoots these bears in the butt. And then <laughs> <laughs> they land and get samples from the bears, like fur samples. They swab between their toes and in their mouths, and they can learn all kinds of neat things about the health of a bear from these samples. So the study's going fairly well, but then things start to go awry. Equipment goes missing. Her helicopter pilot quits unexpectedly. Someone breaks in her lab and steals the samples she's collected. But she's determined she really wants to see what the health of these polar bears is like and hopefully get them stronger protections. So she does find a new helicopter pilot, but then the helicopter crashes out on the ice and she's stranded out there and assailants are moving in. So she has to rely on her survival skills. I'm guessing some bears might also be moving in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I live in Michigan, and so we are, you know, the the Wolverine state, supposedly. Um, but I know like woefully little about this this species of animals. I was really intrigued when I picked up um, a solitude of wolverines, which then, of course, made me intrigued to continue the series as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of I'm hearing from readers that people didn't weren't familiar with wolverines or even didn't know they were real animals. They hear the word wolverine and they think Hugh Jackman and the X-Men or like you oh, said, yeah, like a superhero, <laughs> the mascot of University of Michigan. Some thought they were very small wolves. <laughs> oh, well. So it, I really wanted to bring to their plight. Um, they're such neat animals and I wanted to address them for the first book because exactly this, that a lot of people aren't that familiar and they're definitely not doing well. Can you tell us a bit about what inspired you to write the Alex Carter series? Of course. So I've been a writer for many years and a wildlife researcher for many years, but for some reason I didn't bring the two worlds together. I always had <laughs> wildlife themes or nature or conservation themes in my fiction, but it wasn't the main focus of the books. So I was actually out in Montana. I do bioacoustic studies. So I set out recorders in the field that can record both ultrasonic sounds like bats and then audible Ooh. sounds like birds. Wolves. That's so cool. It's such a neat field. I love it. Um, and so I was out there hoping to find out if there were wolves on this preserve. And as I was setting up the recorder, I thought, why aren't I writing a book about this and thrillers are my favorite thing to read and <laughs> remote isolated setting would really lend a suspense and Ooh, so yeah. I went to my camp that night and started working like on this series okay who should the protagonist be it should be a wildlife biologist and each book could feature a different species and a different location and 
And I could both tell a suspenseful tale, which is what I love to read with science in it, but also bring attention to these creatures that need our help. Science, That's so cool. suspense, that works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love them. when I learn things from books. Yes, I do too. I think you can learn some really cool things that like you wouldn't learn just sort of with your like everyday life. Absolutely. And it's not very common to learn things from actual thrillers. At least not any that I've read so far. I don't think I've read as many things. So I really loved how I was able to actually feel like I was learning something while reading something like that was like scaring the pants off me. (laughs) That makes me happy to hear it. It's fun, but it's useful. (laughs) It is. I really strive to to have my science be accurate. There's nothing like reading a thriller, like a science thriller, and you come across something that's just so wrong. You know, and it, it takes you out of uh-huh. the. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I actually wanted to ask you some about that, because it would seem like you would have to do quite a bit of research to make sure that your facts are accurate, like that you have, you know, a good like sense of the setting. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you researched these books. Absolutely. So with the Wolverine book, um, I'd spent a lot of time in this area of Montana where it was set. And I have myself set out uh, remote cameras in the hopes of capturing Wolverines on them. And so on top of that, I'm, I'm not the kind of wildlife researcher that, that tranquilizes and, and handles an animal. I, I use the less invasive methods like bioacoustics. So because I wasn't personally handling wolverines or tranquilizing wolverines, I did a, a lot of research about how do wolverine researchers go about to getting data from these animals. And they will set up, they do mainly two methods. And I really wanted to get the details right in the book. One is this neat thing that, and I have this in A Solitude of Wolverines, where they set up these neat hair and camera traps so they hang bait from a tree and the wolverine to reach it has to walk through this little wooden frame that has all these alligator clips on it. And the alligator clips grab their fur and then they reach up to get the bait and a camera, which is triggered by an infrared beam, takes a picture of their stomachs. And wolverines have unique ventral patterns. So every wolverine has a different pattern of golden fur on its stomach. And so then they have the hair of the wolverine. They can see which clips were triggered by that particular animal. And then they've got the picture of their ventral side. So then they can use that to even sequence DNA to see what individuals are using it with the hair or just do a visual comparison with the stomach pattern. And they also, some wolverines do live trapping where they will build a big log trap with bait in it and the Wolverine goes inside and, the, and it shuts. And wolverines are, are very sensitive. Like you can't leave them in there for very long. Um, they're part of the weasel family. So their metabolisms are really high. So when the trap closes, it sets off an alarm that allows the researchers to quickly ski out to the, to the trap. And they usually tranquilize it by jabbing it with a stick through the trap. And then they surgically implant a transmitter in it like subcutaneously. So that, that's what they do. But then they can follow this transmitter through radio frequencies. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> and with the, 
polar bear book. Um, also, I spent a lot of time in the Canadian Arctic because I, I, I wanted to get the, the atmosphere right. And then I talked to a bunch of polar bear researchers who are the ones that in the helicopters with the tranquilizer guns out on the ice with these animals taking samples. And I learned what kind of samples they take, what kinds of tests they run on those samples, and then what they can learn about the health of the bear from those tests. And <laughs> I don't know if I annoyed them or not, but boy, I asked them a lot of nitty gritty questions about how they go about tagging the animal and everything that they're doing out there. So I really wanted to they as probably as you like in, that you wanted to do it right. I would agree with that. And as long as you um, annoyed the researcher and not the polar bears, I think you're probably <laughs> fine. <laughs> right. I would totally want to be bears. one of the people that got to hang out of the helicopter. I think that'd be so much fun. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I, yeah, I don't you know. So you should have asked them if you could do that one time just to see how it feels. Well, I was supposed to go up there um, in October 2020, but the pandemic oh. washed that. Ah, uh, that pandemic. Yeah, but I don't get to see any polar bears. <laughs> what did you ask? Oh, I just said you don't get to see any polar bears because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. How sad. Uh. <laughs> So what can we expect next for Alex Carter, or are you planning to go in a different direction altogether? Well, I am loving this series, and HarperCollins just bought two more books, so yay! <laughs> yay! And, yay. I'm- and I'm almost done with the third book. I'm turning it into my editor in two weeks. <laughs> Ooh. And it is about mountain caribou. Oh, so cool. Oh. Which I How do you pick the animals that you want to talk about? Like, are they animals that have been, like, of interest to you? Or do you sort of just pick animals that you feel like are less well-known? Like, how do you decide? I have been, I love all animals. So the decision is so difficult because there's so many species I'd love to do. And I've been choosing them based on the level of peril that they're in. So with- oh with less than 300 left here and they have no federal protections at all. And uh, for polar bears, obviously they've become sort of the face of climate change in a lot of ways. So I really wanted to address that. And wolverines are of course threatened by climate change as well. Uh, But I really, polar bears are in such a dire uh, shape that the latest research there's about 19 subpopulations of polar bears around the planet in the circumpolar region. And the latest research estimates that most will be gone by the end of the century. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. sad. So I really wanted to, to pick them next. I thought about picking the vaquita porpoise. And there's only Ooh. two of those left on the planet. Ten. And I huh. thought by the time this book comes out... Um, so instead, I, I worked a little Vaquita part into the polar bear book uh, just to, you know, give a nod to them and let people know there's this porpoise that's critically endangered. Um, and then for mountain caribou also, they just in 2019 became extinct in the lower 48. Um, so I really wanted to address them. A lot of people, I think, didn't don't realize we had caribou in the lower 48. And they think of the barren ground caribou that are up in the Yukon and Alaska, and they're roaming across the tundra in these gigantic herds. But mountain caribou are a thing of their own. 
and they tend to have fairly small herds, like less than 50 members. And they, instead of doing these long migrations, they migrate up and down mountainsides and survive through the winter by going very high. And they eat these lichen that grow in trees. So they rely on really tall snowpack to be able to stand on top of it and reach this lichen that grows in these old growth groves, which of course, due to clear cutting, we don't have many of those left. And we were down to two mountain caribou in the lower 48 and Canada took them up to British Columbia because they just weren't going to make it. So that was the last of our mountain caribou. Wow. Canada to the rescue. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the only Canadian in this podcast. So whenever there's Canada like being talked about, I always try to make sure that that we're um, promoted. Good. Yeah, we talk about Canada quite in my uh, caribou book too. Although it is set in Washington State, but the last remaining caribou herd we had here was living in this corner of like British Columbia, northeastern Washington State, and northwest Idaho. So that little area there. Yeah. And for years, conservationists were trying to get them listed as a distinct population segment, this so-called South Selkirk Mountain Caribou herd. And they dragged their feet, dragged their feet. And finally, when the last two were gone and we didn't have any left, they were given that designation under the Endangered Species Act, even though we don't have more. Bureaucracy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Makes things difficult. So animals play a big part. So animals play a big part in your books. Do they play a big part in your everyday life? They do. I've, I've been concerned about the plight of wildlife since I was a little kid. I, my, when I first learned about extinction, I was six, and that was incidentally the same year I started writing. My dad gave me his old manual Underwood typewriter, and I was starting to write stories on that. And then I learned that extinction like wasn't something that had happened to the dinosaurs millions of years ago, but was happening now and because of us. <laughs> and so I like went on a mission, even though I was only six, like I really wanted to go and jump on the rainbow warrior and join Greenpeace or something. But um, instead I would do little odd jobs and I'd donate the money to wildlife nonprofits. And I volunteered at our local wildlife rescue and rehabilitation center and And then I was lucky enough, my parents were amazing and took us on these incredible summer trips where we went all over the country camping. And I was really exposed to all the different wildlife. We went to Canada when I was four and I fell in love with the Canadian Rockies. And so they were very supportive of my learning constantly about wildlife and, you know, gave me a lot of books to read and um, field guides. And we'd go out on these nature heights and I would nature journal and my mother was an amazing artist and so we draw together and and I just really continue that passion through my undergrad and grad with trying to find ways to help wildlife and um in my own personal life I, I have a little rescue rabbit that oh a rabbit oh <laughs> does it free I have four rabbits you do she has I a do zoo. I have um I have I have, uh, yeah, so um, I have two Flemish giant bucks and two 
Flemish giant crosses. I, they're, I think they're new um, Flemish giant New Zealand crosses, but I'm not totally sure. Wow. And then I, yeah, then I also have um, chickens and sheep and Nigerian dwarf goats. Um, and then I have an old kitty and five dogs. So that's oh what I've got. Gosh. That sounds like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we recently moved to a farm, so we've had a lot of fun filling up the stalls. Oh, wow. Oh, I just had the one rabbit. <laughs> is it a free oh, room rabbit? Free? You get to she roam around your house? She has run in a house. She's litter box trained. And uh, she likes to, to sleep like I'm riding. Her favorite thing to do is I'll scoot into my desk when I have a chair that's on wheels, and then she'll flop down right behind it so I'm trapped. Oh, no <laughs> moving for you. She's like, you get to work. Exactly. And then everything. She's like, you gotta, you gotta make money to keep giving me the life that I've been living. <laughs> yeah. That's what I always tell, um, we always tell our dogs is that we have to work in order to give them the life that they've been accustomed to. Accustomed to. <laughs> That's so fun. <laughs> she's she's hilarious. She was in the shelter. I what guess. kind is she? She's a English lot. I'm sorry, a French lot mix. I think. Oh, these are longer than most French, oh, cool. but not as long as an English. And I, she was in the shelter for more than a year. And oh, she <laughs> she's very unique. She'll run up in the like as soon as she sees me in the morning, she runs up. And she digs on my shoe and then starts tugging on my pants leg. Oh. Um, oh my god, that's so cute. I don't know if people interpreted that as aggression or something when previous people tried to adopt her, uh, but she's really just saying, "Hey, you're up. Let's go outside." Or <laughs> you know, it's exuberance on her part. It's it's not aggression. So um, she's just wonderful. Oh, that's so cute. We go outside every day and. She's such a great companion. I happened to adopt her just before the pandemic hit, just coincidentally. And ah, yeah. So it gave you a nice family, nice friend. Yes. yes. I love rabbits. My previous rabbit, Spitfire, uh, I had her for 10 years, and we went everywhere together. I mean, we camped all over the Yukon, Alaska, <laughs> the Canadian. That's so cool. All over the U.S. Um, it's a well-traveled bunny. Yes, she was such a... I always, um, I always think it's so cool when people take their other animals camping. Like, um, my husband and I have a trailer, so we take the dogs all camping. And I always see these people that are like, oh, where should we put our cat litter in our trailer? And I'm like, I couldn't even imagine. Like, my cat is 19, and she would oh my god she would not be a happy camper if i took no no um but then i also saw some people taking their goats camping and i think i want to take one of my little nigerian dwarf goats i think they might have fun (laughs) that's hilarious you let me know if the goats ever go camping i i want to know about this i will i will but there's a woman some she i think she has a youtube i think she has a youtube um what do you call it? Channel. Channel. And she taught, like, she goes, yeah, she talks about going camping with her goats. Wow. Which I think is so cool. <laughs> I think amazing. we'd just be boring and take the boxer. Like, we won't take the cats. I have a 16 year old Himalayan seal point. I don't think I'll take her camping. And I also have a little patch tabby who probably also does not want to go. 
Oh. Yeah, they'll stay with Leia. <laughs> they will. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, camping is, is not for cats. <laughs> so taking the discussion back to books, what kind of stuff do you like to read? And have you read anything really good lately? This is my favorite question. <laughs> Yay. I'm, thrillers are probably my favorite thing to read. Um, but I also read, well, I read a ton of nonfiction thrillers i love victorian horror stories and oh my goodness <laughs> mystery novels i used to read a lot of horror uh, but i i don't so much anymore and for some reason and so lately well right now i'm reading saint eves by robert louis stevenson it was just his birthday on november 13th and it's a hilarious have you read that book no no i haven't i'm gonna look it up it's so funny. It's um the premise is that a nobleman gets word that his great uncle's dying and he has to be there for the will. But the problem is he's a prisoner of war in Edinburgh Castle during the Napoleonic Wars and he's oh. also in disguise as a commoner. So he has to <laughs> and it's just full of adventure and and it, he's really funny too. So I'm really enjoying that one. And I just finished Murder in the Abbey by Irina Shapiro, uh, which is... Oh, I saw that when it came... Um, I think it's part of a series of hers. It is. It started with Murder in the Crypt and then Murder in the Abbey. And I really am enjoying those. Um, they're great at historical mysteries set in England. And I love historical mysteries, by the way. Um, P.B. Ryan series set in 1860s Boston Ooh. is a great one. And um, and then I just read by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, City of Endless Night, which was one of their Agent Pendergast novels. Those are always fun. They always definitely incorporate science and history in them. It's like a little supernatural, too, right? Like it's does it usually have like some kind of like paranormal element in there? Usually not, although their lead character, special agent Aloysius Pendergast, is so interesting a character. Sometimes I think, is he a vampire? I mean, he's he seems to know everything and have this world of experience. <laughs> no, and so he's very pale. And um, but they do have science elements, like their first book, Relic, that they wrote together. That um, just they have a, a monster in that. So, but it's not explained. Ways. but um it's just so neat and then um for nonfiction, i just read silent earth averting the insects apocalypse by dave golson oh and it was a it was a great read fascinating and he has a lot of helpful hints about how we can avert this insect apocalypse that we're experiencing right now my only apocalyptic experience is like reading about the zombie apocalypse i'm not sure i'm ready for the insect apocalypse <laughs> quite yet well they're the ones that are dying if that <laughs> yeah i don't know i think we're kind of living in the apocalypse right now so i don't know <laughs> it doesn't feel like it sometimes it does it really does so we so are recording for like Oh, sorry. Like last year when we did, um, like last year when you would go for a walk and so I used to live in a, in a 
like decent sized city. Um, and to go for walks, you would see absolutely nobody. And like normally you would see the roads would be really like some of the more busy oh, yeah. roads. You go for a walk with the dogs and like you could literally in the winter walk down the road because there wasn't that many cars. It was kind of, it was very much ap- apocalyptic in my opinion anyway. There's a documentary about Broadway during the pandemic and how like for the first time Broadway went dark. And as someone who lived in, in New York and spent some time in the city, like that's a really weird thing to imagine that like Broadway was empty and dark. Yes, that would be spooky. Yes, I, I can't imagine I how that would be. Well, we are recording this um, about a week and a half, about a week, I guess, post-release of A Blizzard of Polar Bears. And so I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us and let listeners know a little bit about you and your work and sort of your, your inspirations. I really, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. and Thank you for having me on. You are so welcome. Again, this has been a discussion of A Blizzard of Polar Bears, Alex Carter, book two by Alice Henderson, and it released on November 9th. All right. New books. So I think most of you are pretty familiar with the drill here. I'm going to start with a selection of books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of January episode, and then we will move on to books that you haven't heard us mention. So I'm starting off with one of my most anticipated January releases. This is The Good Son by Jacqueline Machard. Then Stacy is looking forward to How to Love Your Neighbor by Sophie Sullivan. Georgina has a couple of anticipated releases out today. We have One Step Too Far, Frankie Elkin, book two by Lisa Gardner, and Lightning in the Mirror, which is the third book in Jane Ann Krentz's Fog Lake trilogy. Natalia is looking forward to Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover. And Mika is looking forward to The Other Family by Wendy Corsi Staub. So now we're going to move on to some books that you haven't heard us mention. And first up here is On a Night Like This by Lindsay Kelk. This looks like romance, um, maybe kind of women's fiction mixed with romance. It is about a woman who really wants to change her life and she gets a new job and all of a sudden her life changes in these unimaginable ways. She's like has access to this fancy yacht. She's touring the Mediterranean and it just kind of examines like what happens for her when all these changes occur. So this is on a night like this by Lindsay Kelk. We then have The Best Men. This is by Lauren Blakely and Serena Bowen. I know that Natalia really, really likes Lauren Blakely. And when Min was on the podcast, 
back um, in 2019 and the early part of 2020. She mentioned Serena Bowen a couple of times. This is contemporary romance. Um, Serena Bowen has written some MM male-male romances. I'm not sure if that's what this is, but it's definitely worth checking out if you love one or both of these authors. So this is The Best Men by Lauren Blakely and Serena Bowen. Then, if you want some historical romance, there is the new Joanna Lowell. This is The Runaway Duchess. And it's Duke Undone, number two. The first book in this series came out in either late 2020 or early 2021. Um, I've heard fantastic things about it. Kind of the more feminist, like, include, um, excuse me, him, edit. It seems to be more of the feminist type of historical romance rather than old school and I know a lot of people are really loving it for that. So this is The Runaway Duchess, Duke Undone, book two by Joanna Lowell. So this next book I'm going to talk about is one that I'm very excited about and I'm guessing that Stacy and Brooke are also pretty excited. So this is Electric Idol, it's Dark Olympus, book two, by Katie Robert. This is the second in her series of kind of Greek mythology retellings. The first one was a retelling of the Hades and Persephone myth, and this is a continuation, so I'm not sure if we keep on with that story or if we're moving into a different myth, but Katie Robert is excellent at pretty much everything she does. So if you like retellings, this is one that you will want to check out. Again, it is Electric Idol, Dark Olympus, book two by Katie Robert. We then have The Ones We Keep. This is by Bobby Jean Huff. It is the story of four family members and how they cope with tragedy. It follows them for a number of years after this tragedy and kind of shows, you know, the, the peaks and the valleys of their, their continued existence. So it's The Ones We Keep, and it's by Bobby Jean Huff. We also have a couple of mysteries coming out this week. First up is The Village by Caroline Mitchell. She has written a couple of like pre, uh, police procedural series. The Amy Winter series is one of them. Um, but this one is a standalone and it is about a disappearance and how an entire village sort of conspires to keep this a secret. So it is The Village by Caroline Mitchell. Kara Rauda also has a new book out this week. This is called Somebody's Home. And it asks us to think about how quickly your life can go bad, even if you think you're living the perfect life. And if you don't think it, maybe other people think it, but that's still no guarantee that bad things won't happen to you. If you read Domestic Suspense, you know this is true. So this is Somebody's Home by Kara Rauda. If you like some science fiction, you might want to check out Diane Duvall. This is Pervali, Aldevarian Alliance number three. So 
I was first aware of Diane Duvall because of her Immortal Guardian series, which was urban fantasy. Um, I think Stacy or maybe Sarah, I can't remember. One of them has talked about it on the podcast um, quite a while ago. But these are urban fantasy about vampires. Now, this is science fiction, but it seems to have, from what I've gathered anyway, some kind of ties to the Immortal Guardian series. So it's like a sci-fi spinoff, but somehow it still relates. I'm, I'm not fully sure. I have not read Immortal Guardians yet, although I really, really want to. So this one is the third in this Aldevarian Alliance series, and this is Pervali by... Diane Duvall. And I'm going to conclude this week with some YA. Lawless Spaces. This is by Corianne Haydu. It is a novel in verse about a teenage girl and how she connects with the women in her family. And she does this by reading a series of journals. I think verse novels are so clever. And I know for a lot of people who aren't really into like big, heavy books of prose, um, verse novels can be easier to, to deal with. Ellen Hopkins is one of my very favorite authors who writes in this style. So if you like her books, you might want to check this one out. It is Lawless Spaces by Corey Ann Haydew. We then have Bound by Firelight. This is Wickery, book two, by Dana Swift. And Kristen talked about the first book in this series um, sometime last year. This is, of course, young adult fantasy, lots of high magic and intrigue and romance. Um, if you read the first book, you probably are ready for the second one. And this is Bound by Firelight, Wickery, book two, by Dana Swift. And I'm ending tonight with Shattered Midnight, Mirror, book two by Danielle Clayton. Danielle Clayton is so excellent. I love her Tiny Pretty Things series that she wrote with Sana Charpatra. This is kind of a suspense about a group of girls who attend a ballet school. She also has written some really great fantasy. Her Bells duology is amazing. So this is the second book in her Mirror duology. And again, it's called Shattered Midnight, and it's by Danielle Clayton. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. I hope you are finding lots of great things to read. I also hope that you are staying safe from both illness and winter weather. Um, I am in the Midwest and fortunately not affected by the group of storms that are making their way across the U.S. Um, I hope all of you, especially those who are in the path of that bad weather, are staying safe and warm. like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. 
and some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.